This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a great show again today. We have lots to cover, obviously. It seems as if APAC is in a panic about all of the extraordinary information that's coming out that's detailing the apartheid nature of the Israeli state, the Christ, the so-called crisis in democracy. A lot of bad press is coming toward the apartheid state and is really challenging whether or not APAC has uh, its power and its authority to kind of control and influence people. So we're going to talk a lot about uh, APAC. We're also going to talk about a really classic apartheid Israel story, right? The Israeli police imprinted and kind of tattooed the Star of David on a Palestinian detainee's face, and they are denying this, but it is indisputable. So we're going to be covering a little bit about that today. But before we do all that, we're going to look at a really great interview you did with, and this is really a great story. This is Professor David Miller. He's one of the world's leading academic experts on Islamophobia and specializes in the analysis of state and corporate lobbying, discussing that he was sacked by the University of Bristol, which resulted from an outrageous censorship campaign that was led by the UK's pro-Israel kind of lobby and, and forces. It's a really incredible story and a great interview. Yeah, we covered these stories, you know, sadly, just too many times for, um, almost other, every week. <laughs> for ac- academics right here in the United States, in Canada. And of course, this is in the UK, It's the same tactic. It's the same game that they play. And sadly, uh, academic institutions fall prey. I I wouldn't say fall prey, but they play along. Yes. And and, uh, decide to muzzle anyone who criticizes apartheid Israel on, on, on campus. Let's watch the interview. Israel advocacy and lobby groups are increasingly weaponizing anti-Semitism to silence all criticism of Israel in academia. Strategic campaigns to smear and intimidate scholars in the United States who either defend Palestinians or question Israel's racist nation-state and apartheid system have quickly migrated to and spread throughout the UK. The most recent target, David Miller, is relentlessly attacked with distorted accusations regarding his criticism of Zionism. Dismissed as professor of political sociology by the University of Bristol in 2021 due to allegations of anti-Semitism, he was subsequently cleared of all charges. Yet, in an appeal in 2022, The university upheld his termination because it stated that some of his lectures had upset some Jewish students. Miller has brought an employment claim against Bristol for unfair termination. Joining us on Arab Talk this week is David Miller. He's a British sociologist and author whose research and publications focus on Islamophobia, racism, and propaganda. He's also the co-founder of the nonprofit Public Interest Investigations. Welcome to Arab Talk, David. Thank you for having me. Let's begin by you explaining the chronology of events that led to your dismissal and what is at stake. 
I've told this story so many times, but uh, let, let me tell you the brief version. So I, I started the job in September 2018 and 2019. I did a lecture uh, on Islamophobia and part of that lecture, a few minutes out of two hours, uh, I discussed the role of Zionist foundations in particular in funding Islamophobic think tanks uh, and similar activities. Now, uh, th this is a uh, Part of what I have discussed as the five pillars of Islamophobia. So one pillar uh, which promotes Islamophobia is parts of the Zionist movement. The main part, the main backbone, the main pillar, the number one pillar is, of course, the counterterrorism apparatus of the state, which is the key thing which every day is harassing and uh, discriminating against Muslims. Uh, and it was this two or three minutes, four minutes or so uh, discussing the Zionist movement, which caused two students uh, to approach an Israel lobby group uh, who I had mentioned in, in the lecture, though I hadn't described them as being Islamophobic. Uh, and they then took a complaint to the university. The university wouldn't investigated the complaint, but wouldn't accept it in the end because they weren't students. So this lobby group got the uh, the Zionist lobby groups on campus and the, the, uh, the umbrella group called the Union of Jewish Students uh, based in London to put in a complaint. Now that complaint was accepted because the president of the Zionist organization, that's the Jewish Society of Bristol, was a student, although she'd never been a student of mine, never been to any of my lectures, not even spoken to the people who'd been in my lectures. And they took a complaint and that was investigated over the course of two years because they paused the complaint in the middle in order to allow the Jewish Students Society to lobby the university to change the rules hmm. on how they defined anti-Semitism. And the, the university um, suggested this. And the, so they, they allowed them to pause the complaint. The, 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 the JSOC lobbied for the rules to be changed. The rules were changed and they then investigated me. And even after all that, I was found to be not guilty of uh, any kind of anti-Semitism at all. Uh, but then once I'd been given a clear bill of health, the university refused to publish the report, which had exonerated me. So I was still getting all this defamatory and libelous reporting and the university was refusing to um uh to publish the report now and quite incidentally six weeks after the report was was finished and was uh, was sent to me um i was in in a public meeting uh a labor against the witch hunt meeting about the witch hunt within the uh, Cor uh jeremy corbyn led labor party uh, and i made i made a reference to the in, in terms of the witch hunt, to the, the pressures on universities. And I said, of course, as some of you will know, I have been attacked and complained about uh, um, uh, uh, by, by the uh, the Jewish Society of Bristol and by the Union of Jewish Students, the, uh, the umbrella body. And that what, those were the words which set off, which where all hell broke loose. It was said that these words had resulted in, uh, in targeting of the president uh, of the the Jewish Society at Bristol with hate speech and abuse, and that, that the students felt unsafe because I had tar deliberately targeted them. Well, of course, I had targeted nobody. I hadn't, I hadn't named the people. I had simply given the roles of the people who, who had complained about me. It was a matter of fact, publicly known fact, that they had complained about me because they themselves had identified themselves as, in, as being involved in the complaint. Anyhow, so that then le led to this huge outpouring of of, of uh, um, uh, hatred against me, essentially, harassment. Uh, over 100 MPs uh, called for me to be sacked. 
Uh, um, uh, there was a huge campaign to have me sacked. The university had another investigation, although under under its rules, to have an investigation, you have to have a student to complain. Nobody complained. But nevertheless, the university had this investigation. I was investigated again for anti-Semitism, and I was found not to have said anything remotely anti-Semitic. Because, of course, when you say, uh, I've been attacked and complained about, that can't be anti-Semitic. And, uh, and, of course, all the other things I'd said around about that were judged not to be anti-Semitic. But nevertheless, the university decided that it was not the words that I had used, but the way in which I had used them, which had been uh, upsetting for some students. And that wasn't how staff should behave, is how they, they put it. And that, according to them, was a, a sackable offence. And they sacked me. And they, mm. they, they were, that was October 2021. Terrible. I mean, I mean, you you laid that out very clearly. But again, in reviewing the players and events, uh, as you've mentioned, and uh, that none of them are your students. That's, this, this is very important. And that they are government parliamentarians or they were students serving as proxies for Zionist lobbies, uh, maybe on the university. So there is an enormous political pressure in the academic arena to kowtow to Israel. Wouldn't you say so? That's absolutely correct. And of course, you know, the, the university authorities largely don't understand the politics of this, don't know what to do about it. They see a, what they, as they put it, you know, a, a, a legally constituted faith group in the university, which is the, the Jewish society, uh, as being uh, targeted by a member of staff, as they would call it. Now, you know, of course, that my whole case is that the, the JSOC uh, is, a, is a Zionist organization. It's constitutionally bound to be Zionist, and it's linked through... Uh, through the Union of Jewish Students in London uh, to the World Union of Jewish Students, which is a direct member of the World Zionist Organization, and thus has to abide by the rules and regulations of the World Zionist Organization, as do all Zionist organizations which are part of the WZO. So that, that's what I said. This is, this is a Zionist organization. It has a particular set of politics, which which actually uh, is problematic for, for anti-Zionist Jewish students, and indeed, of course, for, for Muslims on campus, and for Palestinian students, because of the fact that uh, Zionism is racism, it's 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 it's, uh, it's uh, fundamentally racist against Palestinians, and it, and also you know um, at a very basic level ha- has to be and is racist against Muslims. So that's that's part of my, my case was I'm, I was saying look that this this is racism, and I, and I I have to be able to to call this out. The university has its own policy on on its website where it says. That, that racism must be dismantled. That's their words, dismantled. And, and so I say, well, yes, that's right. Zionism is racism and it must be dismantled. Uh, but of course, they won't take up that as an argument. They don't see that as a, a, a thing. They see it just as, as being divisive between Muslims and Jews. But of course, they don't understand, They don't have a similar kind of um, way of dealing with things for Muslim students. So when Muslim students complain, what happens is is quite the the opposite. So in fact, what a complaint uh, by Muslim students uh, against another member of staff at my university around about the same time. And of course, the the the, the results of that uh, process were very different. This member of staff did not lose his job. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, in the case of in my case, the university issued statements endorsing. The, the Jewish society's uh, activities and saying that they, they, they were mindful of uh, protecting what they called our Jewish students. Well, there was no question of, of Jewish students being targeted or discussed. It was it was a specific organization. Uh, whereas in relation to the other case, they actually 
criti publicly criticized the uh, uh, Islamic society for breaching confidentiality in the in the uh, discussion now if you recall what I said a minute ago uh, the uh, the people who took the complaint against me breached the confidentiality themselves they put their own identities out there in the public domain uh, and uh, that was never, of course, seen by the university as a problem. So there's a, there was a double standard, and of course, that's the double standard. Unfortunately, which, uh, which there is in the society between between how you treat Muslims and how you treat Zionists. Unfortunately, we've seen similar cases right here in in in, in the United States. We've covered uh, many similar cases throughout the United States, and this is a, a, a recurrent argument by pro-Israel students. Uh, that uh, they used, that they were upset, hurt, afraid, unsafe. I mean, this is kind of like a very vague uh, criteria, which we'll talk about it later on. But uh, Edward Isaacs, who was the president uh, of a Jewish university club affiliated with the Union of Jewish Students, campaigned strongly for your dismissal. However, in a letter by one of Bristol University's lawyers regarding this case that was leaked, the lawyer states that Edward Isaacs made the complaint in conjunction with Community Security Trust, a pro-Israel lobby group, uh, Community Security Trust could not make the complaint directly because it was a third party, so it made it through Isaacs. Uh, talk about yeah, that, this. That, that, that's not quite correct. Okay, I, I, then I need that a clarification about yes, this. Th th this is a very important clarification. Yes. Right? So when the complaint was made in 2019, the president... Uh, uh, was uh, someone called Nina Friedman, uh, the president of the JSOC at Bristol. And she went on to be elected uh, as the president of the Union of Jewish Students, and she's just stepped down uh, from that role about a year ago. When I made the second set of complaint, when I made the second um, uh, statement in February 2021, so remember this is two years later, she was no longer the president, she's just stepped down. And I referred to, deliberately referred to, the president of the Jewish Society at Bristol, because I didn't want to name her. I mean, she named herself, but I didn't want to name her. I didn't want to personalize. I was saying, you know, I was just reporting the facts. What happened then was that the that the, the the new president Edward Isaacs uh, and the JSOC uh, Twitter account, the, the Bristol JSOC Twitter account, said that that our president has had hate uh, messages and abuse on social media as a direct result of Professor Miller's words. So what they were saying was, I had deliberately targeted Edward Isaacs. Now, mm. As everybody knew, I, I was I was mentioning the one, the, the president who had, who had taken the complaint against me, which is a, a previous president. Now, and this is, this is a crucial part of the, 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 the case. So this, this idea that there'd been abuse against the students was a, a, an absolutely central part of the decision to sack me, but of course, what happened in that process, and this is something which is um, not widely known, is that it became apparent from the evidence submitted by uh, the JSOC and by the lawyers working pro bono for the JSOC, one of um, the, a law firm which works regularly for the Israeli embassy, of course, they, issued, they provided evidence that there had been abuse. And it turned out that the evidence was not what they said it was. They said it was social media abuse uh, from a variety of sources. And it wasn't on social media. It wasn't public. And it didn't come from a variety of sources. It came from one source. And it, and it wasn't abusive. The evidence that they provided wasn't abusive. And that's why when people look back at this and they say, oh, I can't find any evidence of abuse on Twitter of Edward Isaacs. And that's because there wasn't any. 
uh, and the whole thing was fabricated by uh, by the the people involved with the JSOC and by their and or by their legal advisors. And so that's a, a truly extraordinary element of the story. I mean, how does uh, I mean the university justify itself by using these criteria that students were upset, hurt, afraid, unsafe? I mean, I mean, isn't that a very vague criteria? Well, the I mean, the, there's a there was a labyrinthine process whereby in the second investigation, the QC was given part of the investigation, which was to do with anti-Semitism. And an internal member of staff, uh, a senior member of staff, was given the other part of the investigation, which was to, to determine whether I had breached other university policies not to do with with uh, anti-Semitism or racism or or the Equality Act. And that person declared, decided that although I was found entirely not guilty of anti-Semitism, that I was found to be found guilty of all the other charges. <laughs> and then that then went to a disciplinary process where another senior member of staff came in. And that member of staff then took the findings from the investigation and found a way to reshape what was being said in them so that it might apply to policies, the breach of which would cause a charge of gross misconduct. And again, this is a key part of, of the uh, the case that I've been making, is that the, the, the investigation which found me guilty of, of breaches of, of policies, and none of those policies have as a sanction uh, um, gross misconduct. So they, none of them... If I was found guilty and under them, could well could have led to me being sacked. So they had to find a way to change what I was being charged with, and they brought in new policies which I which were never investigated. So the whole thing, in my view, was um, well, I mean, it was not an above board investigation. So what you see here then is not just the question of the pressure from the Zionist movement, from the on-campus Zionist movement and from the off-campus Zionist movement, but also to do with the way in which the university evidently felt that they just had to get rid of me because of the pressure that they were under. And let's remember, the pressure didn't come just from on-campus Zionists and off-campus Zionists and parliamentarians and from the media, but also from uh, um, organizations uh, and foundations which fund the university. So some of those organizations mm. who had previously funded the university uh, were in contact with the university uh, and said that they that they were considering withdrawing future donations, and that that's a, course, that's, a, that's a familiar theme, by the way. Familiar theme, yeah. This is happening in the midst now of the UK government coming down strong on the adoption of the International Holocaust Remembrance, Remembrance Alliance uh, working definition of anti-Semitism, which conflates anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. The parliament is crafting bills uh, to remove ethical or moral considerations from government investments with the intent to shelter Israel from BDS. You specialize in lobbies and power structures. Is this a top-down strategy to align the UK with Israel's interest? Well, look, I mean, uh, 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 let's take this from, from, from this end and go back. I mean, there, there are people who say that uh, one of the problems with my work is that I I regard the that the, the state of Israel as being too powerful, and the, and the and the power I attribute it to it, I attribute it to the state of Israel cannot possibly be the case because, of course, we all know that the real power in the world is U.S. imperialism, and that and therefore that the Israel is simply you know a, a, an attack dog in the Middle East for U.S. imperialism. Well, um, my view on that is that you cannot determine that. 
by a mass, as, a, as a matter of theoretical precept from the beginning. Now, largely, that precept comes from a certain version of Marxism. Uh, now, my, my view on this is that that if if it's the case that you say that particular nation states have power and other nation states have less power or more power, well, then that needs to be empirically demonstrated. And I've always been an empirical sociologist, so I've I've always tried to to look and say, well. Who, who is it that has the power in this situation? And I think that the International Holocaust Remembrance Association, uh, uh, Remembrance Association, sorry, uh, definition, working definition of anti-Semitism is a, is a perfect example of the imposition of, of Zionist foreign policy objectives across the whole world. I mean, it's truly extraordinary. There is no, there's no possible way in which this would have been introduced without there being some form of power for the Zionists. Now, how did they do it? Well, they started off by having a, uh, an organization which was set up by Anatoly Sharansky, uh, who, of course, renamed himself Nathan Sharansky when he came from the Soviet Union to Israel, became a politician in Israel, called the Global Forum for Combating Antisemitism. And that started to meet in the mid-2000s, and it met, met regularly. There, there was one just last year, I think. Uh, and, and the purpose of this is to bring people internationally together, Zionist lobby groups and, and others, to work on how to blur together anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, so they are the same. And so their definition of anti-Semitism is just anti-Zionism. Uh, and the, But they had to find a way, not just to do that in their own heads and in their own publicity and propaganda, but they had to find a way to impose that on the rest of the world. And the, and the, the process um, goes way back to 2002 and three, where it was, uh, it was uh, they managed to get it adopted uh, after some cajoling and some threats by the European Union Monitoring Centre on uh, on xenophobia, the EUMC. But that eventually didn't work as a strategy because the, the European Union uh, Monitoring Centre became the fundamental rights agency and they dropped it. And so they had a panic. They didn't know what to do. And by about 2013, the Global Forum on Combating Antisemitism was saying, well, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? And they said, well, what we'll do is we'll find another body which will take this on, which will make this the international standard definition of, of anti-Semitism, and then it will be adopted uh, uh, by, by countries and organizations. And that's what they did. That's what the IHRA is. It's the, it's the same definition as was adopted by the, the, the EU, which had been developed by the Israelis and by um, Zionist lobby groups, including in England uh, and, in, and indeed in, in the US uh, and other places too. And, and they got it adopted in 2016. And that was the weapon. That was the weapon they used to club Jeremy Corbyn as leader of the Labour Party. It was the weapon they used against Bernie Sanders uh, in the US. It's the weapon they used against Die Linke uh, in, in Germany. They used it in France too. And, and they, but they, in order to, to make sure that that weapon is, is used effectively, they have to have feet on the ground. They have to have boots on the ground. That is, Zionist lobby groups have to be highly organised in the countries which, which they target. And of course, in the UK, the Zionist uh, movement is extremely well organized not as well organized as it is in the us to be fair but very well organized here and it's it's well organized in france and it's well organized in germany and and they they the boots on the ground take the definition and they use it as a club to beat organizations now it's the ihra has been been adopted in the uk by political parties by uh, councils by student groups across the whole range of of the, of the society and that that is that that's the that's a, a means of the exertion of power by the state of israel how do, how do you gauge the public sentiment uh, sentiment regarding this or are they 
Indifferent. I know in the in the U.S. we have some debate here, at least, uh, you know, how that uh, affects the our first amendment, which is very important to to um, American citizens here. But yeah, I don't know I mean, how I mean, they're passing the, all these things in the U.S. And are people aware that uh, how that affects their freedom of uh, speech or they're just like totally indifferent? They don't know anything about it. So on the one hand, the public is largely indifferent. Uh, public doesn't care, um, and and that and that, that that is the predominant reason why it should be possible for political organisations to say we're not going to deal with this. It's not of any consequence. There isn't any significant racism in the society against the Jews. There are you know there are hate crimes, yes, um, but the, you know the main forms of racism in the society are against people of colour uh, uh, and against, of course, you know preeminently Muslims because they are attacked by the the counterterrorism apparatus. But but uh, but the problem is. That um, that at the level of politics, that there is a, there is a huge number of groups that have an investment in it and who will who will use who will use the weapon to intimidate, to bully, to harass, and the and the institutions in universities, in colleges, in local councils, in political parties are not uh, are not um, well enough. They don't well enough understand these issues to be able to resist. And you even have, I think, what, what's in particular the case, you even have leftist groups being amongst the most uh, vociferous about these issues. So, that yes, there are leftist Zionist groups, and even some anti-Zionist groups, are who are, which are kind of soft on Zionism, are, 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 are not able to understand that they are being played by the state of Israel, even and, and even that, even as they see as as we're speaking almost on a daily basis now, Israelis themselves are calling Israel an apartheid state. They're calling Israel a fascist state, from generals and the former attorney gen, uh, general of the state and and and, and others, including yeah. of course major human rights organizations like Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch and Israel own human rights organization B'Tselem. There is no shift to kind of realize. Well, oh no, no, no. We are I mean, protecting it, it, a, a horrible regime. So the the some of these groups, uh, leftist groups, are quite happy to quote Betzalem, amnesty, uh, critics of the Netanyahu government, um, even happy to criticize Zionism in total, but. Uh, they they have got themselves into a position where they believe that there is a significant threat of anti-Semitism uh, in in the Western world. Now, the, the problem is that they they have to some extent drunk some of the Kool Aid of the Zionist regime, uh, where they where that's they've blurred together anti-Zionism uh, and anti-Semitism. Now, of course, they can they can see that mostly for for in, indeed for the, the kind of some elements of anti-Zionism, they can see that that's what the uh, Israelis are doing, but they 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 draw a line where they say people who who are saying that there's no such thing as anti-Semitism as a form of racism against the Jews today uh, um, are, are somehow themselves anti-Semitic. So there's a there's a kind of a, a, the it, the parts of the left are being used against those who would say no, we need to demand. The end of Zionism. Zionism is racism. It must be dismantled, and that means—I uh, mean, like you know—let's let, put this very clearly: 
every single Zionist organization needs to be dismantled because these are fundamentally racist organizations. They cannot reform themselves. There's no possibility of a Zionist anti-racism. I mean, we, we know that from, from all of the analysis that, that all of us have done. But, but for many leftist groups, discussing Zionism and the Zionist movement in the UK or the US or France or Germany is a, is a step too far. This is somehow, you know, too critical of Zionism. And that's that comes back to this question: too critical of Zionism, overestimating uh, the power of uh, of Israel and of, of Zionism in, in general, and somehow folding oneself into anti-Semitism by being by having a focus on Zionism uh, uh, to to the to the exclusion, they would say, of course, of, of U.S. imperialism. But you know, I mean, none of us, of course, uh, exclude U.S. imperialism or or refuse to analyze it so yes i mean i think there's a there's a real problem here which is that the left in the west has has uh, lost its way and has allowed to some extent uh, a, a notion of racism which is which comes from standpoint theory where in order to work out if there is racism against the jews you don't do research or racism against muslims you don't do research you check with a muslim or with a jew now you know racism is an objective social relationship which can be in, in, in principle investigated by anybody and, and we, we shouldn't have to check with a jewish person if we think that, that there is or there isn't bias against or for jews in a particular way just as we shouldn't have to check with muslims we do the research and the research doesn't show uh that the that, that there's an epidemic of anti-semitism uh against the jews in this country or in the us or other places it does show an epidemic of racism against muslims I want to point out that you have had a tremendous outpouring of support from hundreds of esteemed scholars, such as Noam Chomsky, Ilan Pape, uh, John Pilger, and others defending you and testifying to your standing as an esteemed scholar. You, your uh, tremendous, uh, also had tremendous additional support from students, uh, Muslims, and 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 Jews, and uh, all decrying that this is an attack on academic freedom. Is there an increasing swell of support for you? Well, yes and no. I mean, I think there's been a, there's been a, in the last weeks there's been a renewed attack on me, uh, an attempt to divide off, to peel off some of my supporters, uh, and of course, part of the process of having the arguments that we've been having is to is to say, well, actually, we should that we should be thinking about evidence in relation to racism uh, as a as a way to understand the significance and seriousness of racism in any society uh, at any given time. So this is an argument that, you know, that as the tribunal approaches, that the other side are trying to peel off my support. But, you know, I, I'm very clear that the the argument needs to be made and made very clearly. And, and when we do it, when one does that, people come round to, to the discussion and they start to see that actually perhaps uh, things are, things have got much worse than we actually believe they have. Uh, and there, there's a need to combat, uh, directly combat uh, uh, Zionist ideas and uh, and talking points. So you have your, uh, I guess, lawsuit pending, but assuming, let's say, one of your demands to be reinstated. So in addition to 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 be reinstated in your position, what would you establish legally if you prevail in your upcoming lawsuit against uh, Bristol University? It's to say that anti-Zionist views should be protected under the Equality Act of 2010 in the UK. And so that, that you it should be illegal to sack somebody because they express anti-Zionist views. 
Now, there are a number of different political views which are protected through case law uh, in the UK, and we're seeking to establish that anti-Zionism would be protected. And that would be a huge uh, um, change in the way in which um, the society operates and it would make it much more difficult for, for Zionists to intimidate, bully and harass institutions into sacking or otherwise uh, disadvantaging or discriminating against individuals who support the Palestinians. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous if 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 one sees Zionism as an ideology, and if you had anti-communist views or anti-capitalist views or anti-socialist views, would you, would you have been sacked for that? No, I mean, the, there has been a big debate in this country, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, and there's in the US too, about the whole trans question and whether gender critical. Feminists should be sacked, or, or whether their views are protected, etc. So there are some parallels, um, but but you know that there is simply no way in which, and the and the example at the University of Bristol shows this: that someone who had expressed views which are regarded as being Islamophobic, and remember, I was found not guilty of anti-Semitism, uh, would be sacked. And, and at Bristol, they didn't sack the person who was accused of, of Islamophobia. And I don't want to get into the question about whether. That person was an Islamophobe or expressed Islamophobic beliefs, but certainly what happened was that they did they didn't sack him. And the, if you look around the country, there's not an epidemic of people being sacked for being Islamophobes. Whereas I would say there is an epidemic of Islamophobia, including uh, uh, notably in the academy. David Miller, uh, the best of luck, uh, and, and thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you very much for having me. That's the voice in the face of David Miller, a former professor at the University of Bristol, discussing his sacking, his termination from the university because of his work on Islamophobia and the, uh, you know, basically the lobbying efforts that the pro-Israel groups in the UK take. It's a, it's an extraordinary story, Jamal. And I, in some ways, I think it's even more outrageous than some of the stories that we've covered here in the U.S., uh, because the power of the lobbies and its influence in the UK and on the parliament seems really strong and outrageous. Yeah, and in in his case, which is a little bit different than the cases that we've covered here with Dr. Lara Sheehy, with the Dr. Rabab Abdel Hadi, and so forth. But in his case, the main uh, uh, witnesses, which weren't witnesses, uh, they brought in. Uh, basically, it's 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 Israeli lobby groups and exactly. and and students who didn't attend his lecture <laughs> and other professors. <laughs> professors, this is this is their eyewitness and, right. and 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 the claim saying what he said, you know, criticizing Israel and calling it an apartheid state, is upsetting to some students. It's very upset. That's that's this is the excuse of of the university's administration why they let him go. They said whatever he was doing was upsetting to some students. Well, the the reality, Jamal, is that uh, a lot of what gets discussed in universities these days is upsetting, and with the fact of the way uh, academic institutions and institutions of higher level uh, learning are designed to talk about difficult topics. So this seems to be the only tactic that the pro-Israel groups 
uh, have these days is that it's upsetting. And what's upsetting, Jamal, is to hear reality, the reality of an apartheid state, the reality of a racist state. And the only thing that they have is that it's upsetting. What's really disturbing about Professor Miller's uh, case is that, as you said, these are people who didn't even take the class. It's just a reflection on the content that they had heard about. It's, it's really outrageous. It is. And talking about facts, uh, Jess, and this is our, our first topic here that we're going to be talking about, is how APAC is panicking because more and more, um, whether it's Jewish Israelis, actually in this case Jewish Israelis, who are coming forward talking about facts and the facts of apartheid. So, and, and, and we talked about this last week and the week before how, how APAC right. now is just going full force, recruiting all these uh, Democrats, sending them on a junket uh, tour to, uh, to visit apartheid Israel and then recording them afterwards with support, supporting statements that, that they've been there and Israel is a great democracy and, and so forth. It's just like they've basically, it's like highly produced right. uh, fiction, I would say. <laughs> it's like a documentary that they get these, sadly, these are our political leaders come back to lie on behalf of, of APAC. But then they do that, and then you get a statement like, you know, a couple of, I guess, almost a month ago, the former Mossad head said, yeah, Israel is an apartheid state and it's terrible what the israeli military forces are doing to palestinians in the west bank and he goes on and now the latest of which you get another one benjamin pogrand who right. who witnessed apartheid in south africa right very and, compelling letter yeah, he wrote. And, and then he immigrated uh, to to israel and was actually defending israel uh, for for many years, saying no, we we haven't reached there, and there are differences between what's happening in Israel and what's happening in South Africa. And Israel, that's an occupation versus uh, civil rights. In fact, in two thousand one, he wrote that he joined uh, Israel's government uh, government delegation to the World Conference Against Racism in Durban, uh, and and uh, this is this is this goes back to. The government of Ariel, Ariel Sharon, who invited him because of his expertise of after a quarter century as a journalist in South Africa, and his and his specialty was uh, reporting on apartheid close up. So, as usual, the Israeli government tried to use people. So you know, he, right. he was invited, and 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 and, and you know. He was defending that Israel, I mean, this is going way back when people were raising the question of apartheid. He was saying no. Now he wrote a letter, he published an article, and he talks about that that's what's happening now on the ground. Right. Starting with the nation state law, which elevates Jews, and these are his words about fellow citizens who are Arab, Muslim, Druze, Bedouin, and, and Christian, and every day he sees government ministers and their allies venting racism. Then he goes on that Israel can no longer claim security as the reason of our behavior in the West Bank and, and the siege over, over Gaza. And he goes so on so and on. Yeah, yeah. So, so this kind of like 
it's it's another smack in the face of APEC and surrogates when, you know, I mean, just think about it. You're a congressman, you got paid, you know, I know they, you know, they give you some money for your campaign, you're sent on a junket, you're paraded like a clown, Come, you come back and say, you're in denial. I didn't see apartheid. I haven't witnessed racism. And then you get somebody who lived in South <laughs> apartheid South Africa who immigrated to Israel and, and tells you what the hell you're talking about. Right. So and that's what that, we're talking about, the right. panic that APEC is, is facing. As, as they should, Jamal, because it's not just one letter. It's not just two letters. You have hundreds of Israelis and academic Jewish Americans who wrote a letter, we we spoke about this a few weeks ago, you know, condemning what the apartheid state is doing and calling on Jewish Americans to stand up against this. And so the every week, more letters, more denunciations, more critiques of the apartheid state. And I think it's important to say that the latest clown to get on the bandwagon is Mayor Adams, from New York City, exactly. And so in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of a crisis, an immigration crisis, where he's been attacking people of uh, you know people of color and immigrants and kind of doing awful things to them and not taking responsibility, he goes on this paid junket to the apartheid state to kiss the ring of Benjamin Netanyahu. So the clown train, Jamal, the clown train, the U.S. clown train of United States politicians kissing the ring of, of the leader of the apartheid state continues unabated. But I think you're right. I mean, the title here of our segment is Apex starting to get nervous, as they should be, as they should be. Well, because- and, and, and I've come across some, I guess, leaked uh, information and readings about their latest meetings because they yes. have to spin that. So, you know, before they enjoyed APEC, enjoyed for many years the bipartisan support from both Democrats and Republicans, uh, all behind uh, supporting Israel. And and we know we, we spoke about that, that, you know, how basically latest uh, polls, including a Pew, a Pew opinion poll, you know, which was published uh, recently that showed that sympathy sympathy for uh, for Israel, uh, basically for Democrats, uh, has on, has been on the decline. Absolutely. Within Republicans, it's not. It's actually still remains very high, which is about seventy four percent, but it's still still lower than the ninety percent uh, figure. And now it's in in the twenty percentile when it was more in the forty percentile, and so forth for for Democrats. So now their new spin, just and that's why you're seeing them. They're focusing these latest trips. They're focusing on Democrats, and they are trying to build them as progressive Democrats. So what they're trying to do, right? They, they're saying that, and they've been <clears throat> urging them, urging Democrats uh, who have been abandoning Israel, uh, that um, progressives to stay in the bipartisan fold of support uh, of, of Israel. And you know the message? What's the message? The message? You'll laugh. They insist that Israel is a progressive cause. Oh my God! Apartheid that's, is a progressive cause. That's the that's the new message. They want them to repeat that message when they come back. The reason they went there because 
you know, we Democrats, Israel is a progressive cause. Exactly. Apartheid is a progressive cause. We should change that uh, wherever motto. Unbelievable. But but that that tells you how outrageous uh, APEC is, number one. And, and how desperate. Know, how, and desperate because to to have like Hakeem Jeffries and Mayor Adams of, of the largest uh, city in the United States, New York, New York City, go on these junkets and come back and and say how progressive. I mean, let's let's not forget Mayor Adams is a black man, Hakeem Jeffries is an African American man, and they're they're talking about progr- how progressive the apartheid state is when women's rights are being trampled on every single day, human rights are being trampled on every single day, occupation, uh, apartheid, settler colonial violence. The juxtaposition of the statement with reality cannot be bridged, Jamal, even by a talking point. And I think APAC realizes that now. Even their talking points fall flat. But Mayor Adams goes, Hakeem Jeffries goes, London Breed, mayor of San Francisco, goes. They're still going. So we're in this interesting transition point. You have Jewish Americans and uh, from and and you know Israelis from all over the world condemning what's happening in the apartheid state. And then you have these clowns, and it's a good word, going on the clown junkets, saying just the opposite. Pretty outrageous. It is outrageous, and they are in a panic. However, we have to uh, to warn our listeners here and <laughs> that APEC sits on a very big budget and oh, still has tens uh, of millions of dollars. Has people who still contribute tens of millions of dollars a year. So, so that's the only thing that's keeping it alive. Despite, like you said, which is very important, that's a large number, for example, and that's the other part of the panic, but that would save that for another show, is that a large number of Jewish Americans have uh, left APEC and went to, to organization like, uh, organizations like J Streets or Jewish Voice for Peace. And so, uh, you know, so they split basically the Jewish American community right here in this country. But that's a different story. But now their story is that they're seeing progressive Democrats for the first time rejecting Israel, calling it, calling it on right there in the house uh, as an apartheid state, a fascist state. A racist state. And a racist state. So they're pouring millions of dollars. Of course, you know, when we talk about these junkets, uh, I was trying to see how much they spent, but, you know, taking all these Democrats, putting them in the hotels, tours, etc., so they have the money and, and, and they have the money to have them. I mean, this is, this is the, the worst part about it. It's okay. You went like we, we talked about last week, uh, this about last, last week, uh, Mayor London Breed in San Francisco. She went there and she quietly came back quietly. But then you got all these people who now went on the recent trip, the organized trip. They come back and they record a video, love stories, love a, stories, a love fest. <laughs> and a uh, and lies, lies, because they say we went there. I mean, how can you stand with a straight face and say Israel is a democracy? Well, if you stay at the King David Hotel, Jamal, and you and you stay indoors, and you don't go to downtown Jerusalem 
to see the, you know, people in the streets uh, protesting. If you don't go to the checkpoints and seeing Israeli soldiers uh, attacking Palestinian men, women, and children, if you don't see colonial, if you don't go to the colonial settlements, illegal colonial settlements, and see American Jews living in illegal colonial settlements, burning Palestinian homes and killing Palestinians, you can come back and say that with a straight face. But at the top of of this, there are two people at the top of this clown parade, Chuck Schumer, Hakeem Jeffries. The Republicans, that's their platform. We understand that. But we know that Hakeem Jeffries and Chuck Schumer, the leaders of the respective houses of the Congress, you know, like to stand up and say how progressive they are. I mean, Hakeem Jeffries, you know, Jamal, ran on a progressive platform. So the the hypocrisy just stinks to high heaven, as we say, in thinking that both Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries have kissed the ring of Benjamin Netanyahu and have drank, as you like to say, the Kool-Aid of APAC. Yeah, they kissed the ring. They are in denial. They're torn, deaf. And but they we, know it. Here's the other thing, Jamal. Here's the uh, irony. They're on the they wrong know side it. of history. They are That's... on the wrong side of history. They know they're lying. They know that they're clowns. They know that they're paid, you know, I, we can't say the word on the air, obviously, but they're paid to say these crazy things. And they know it. So, um, you know, history will will judge them. I mean, we don't even have to wait for history, Jamal, because people are judging Hakeem Jeffries in an extremely negative way right now because of what he's doing. And if you notice, ever since he got back from his apartheid trip, he's been kind of quiet. You don't hear about Hakeem Jeffries much anymore because the progressive Democratic caucus, where the real progressives are, were very critical of his trip. Well, you know, they're seeing him for what he is, and that's that's uh, sad. Moving on to our next story, Jess. Yeah, yeah, and disturbing. I, I want to ask you, I don't know what uh, hiking shoes you wear, uh, <laughs> but uh, if you have ever stumped on the face of someone and and left the imprint, you know, uh, and we're talking about, about this, you know, sad story again. This is uh, Israeli police. Um, uh, they have denied branding the Star of David on the face of a Palestinian man who was detained following a raid on his house in, in Shafat. Akram Abu Libde uh, is a 20-year-old uh, no, sorry, his name is Arawa uh, Sheikh Ali, his lawyer, Akram Abu Libde, the lawyer of the 22-year-old Arawa, uh, uh, whose face was heavily bruised, uh, stated that the injuries below the eye of his client were of a branding of the Star of David. So this is, there was like evidence, a proof. He was yes. arrested. Uh, and he was arrested by... Uh, Sixteen Israeli police officers were involved, and then when they they stood in front of the magistrate, uh, you know, uh, to um, uh, in, this is the also including the district judge uh, Amir Shaked, they said that none of their cameras, their body cameras, worked. Sixteen. Oh, of 16. course. So 16 all 16 malfunctioned on that particular moment of course so they were they were questioned like 
why did you why did you basically uh, brand the star of david i mean this is uh, i've read this in israeli media comparing this to nazi germany like things like that who would do something like this and they were saying, no, 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 it's just like the markings from our boots. Well, like, aside from this, they were stomping on him. Like, like think about it. We didn't brand him. We but just stamped are, on his face. Yeah, and then somehow the Star of David was stamped on, on his face. So... Outrageous, I, I mean, this is, this is the, race, the most recent crazy story that comes out, you know, out of the court of Jerusalem, basically. But this is this is related to the other story, Jamal. So th- this is Hakeem Jeffries and Chuck Schumer and Mayor Adams need to know this is what they're supporting. This, they're, well, th- that's why what I'm saying, they went there and they claim they haven't seen anything. They saw democracy. And they saw democracy. But I think <laughs> they read. And this story that we're talking about was pub- published in the English version of Haaretz and other publications was published in the Jerusalem Post. It was published in the time of Israel. I think it was published in the Guardian and other publications. Yeah, yeah. So, in English. In English. In English. So <laughs> they cannot escape these stories that the Israelis themselves, the justice that, that uh, you know, in the, in the district court, a member, uh, you know, in the of the court system of Israel, they, she, she didn't believe what she saw. You know, and she let him go, by the way. He's now free on house arrest because uh, even his arrest, uh, she released him to house arrest, stating that there were no grounds to keep him in detention under the current circumstances. Yeah, well, but Jamal, let's keep in mind, this is one story out of hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands that have been happening over the years in historic Palestine. So this is just one story. And I'm hoping that Chuck Schumer, Mayor Adams, Hakeem Jeffries will watch Arab talk because apparently maybe they don't read Jamal, but maybe they can listen. Maybe they can see. Maybe they can hear about some of the things that they're saying, you know, in terms of their clown parade to the apartheid state and, and kind of taking, taking a little check-in with reality. I think they read, they hear, they see, but they bury their heads in the sand because had they done that, like basically they want to be honest, they would be still questioning the murder of journalist, American journalist, Shirin Abakli. Have you heard anything about that? Have you heard any of them speaking about this? Nothing. And not from Anthony Blinken either, by the way. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. The so-called investigation into her murder, nothing has happened with that. No follow-up. The demands from her family to uh, Anthony Blinken, nothing has happened with that. So we're still in the dark. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest shows, and we'll speak to you next week. We'll see you next week. Thank you.